Recently on the Marketplace Morning Report, you heard our Democracy in the Desert series. We took you to places characterized by researchers as news deserts to see what communities stand to lose when they're without a local news ecosystem, especially during an election year. This kind of reporting takes resources. David Brancaccio went on a six-day reporting trip with two of our producers, grounding themselves in these communities and meeting locals who are trying to find solutions and fill the gaps. Every donation to Marketplace helps sustain this kind of in-depth journalism. Please give what you can today at marketplace.org slash donate. We're celebrating Marketplace's 35th anniversary with some throwback thank you gifts available during this March fundraiser. We took our old dot-com era logo and put it on a sticker, a glass mug, a tote bag, and a t-shirt. No matter how much you donate, you can get a fun piece of Marketplace history. Check them out at marketplace.org slash donate. These limited edition gifts are only available through March 22nd. Get yours at marketplace.org slash donate. Ukraine's economy is proving surprisingly robust, but it's going to need a lot of international support. That's the warning from the International Monetary Fund this morning as we kick off the Marketplace Morning Report from the BBC World Service. Will Bain, Ian for Leanna Byrne again today. Great to have your company, as always. Yeah, tomorrow uh, is the two-year anniversary of Russian President Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. And today, the IMF gave an update on the country's finances. It says the authorities have skillfully maintained financial stability, which, together with significant external financing, has enabled a stronger-than-expected economic recovery in 2023 – but, and it's a big but, it estimates reconstruction costs of nearly half a trillion dollars and warned delays in external financing, i.e. from partners like the US and the EU, are weighing on confidence. The BBC's Joe Critcher looks at the delays on foreign funding from two of Ukraine's major backers. In the Ukrainian capital, Kyiv, air raid sirens are a common sound. Despite being hundreds of miles from the front line, the city is still a target of Russian forces. But Zhenya, who runs six restaurants, says life goes on. People drink, people hang out, people have fun, uh, you know, because we need it. Because otherwise, you know, businesses fall apart, investors don't want to invest. And, uh, you know, that's, that's how you lose a win. For those in other towns and cities closer to the conflict, day-to-day life is very different. Erica is a schoolteacher in Herson in the south of the country. She works remotely as almost all of the schools in the city have been destroyed. People are struggling to survive. They are struggling to protect themselves, their families, their children. Infrastructure is really very destroyed. Roads, schools, hospitals. The city needs, uh, like, you know, protection and uh, finance, and uh, it needs to be reconstructed completely. Foreign aid plays a crucial role in funding Ukraine's defence and supporting its economy. The US has been Ukraine's biggest financial backer, giving $75 billion since the war with Russia began two years ago. Another $60 billion has finally been approved by the Senate, but Congress Republicans are continuing to oppose sending any more money. Julia Manchester, a reporter at the non-partisan news organisation The Hill, says it won't be straightforward to get it approved. Because the Republican Party in the House is so divided. We'll see how November's elections go as well. If Donald Trump wins, I would imagine that would make Ukraine funding much more difficult. 
The European Union has also been struggling to get its member countries to agree to send more money to Ukraine. It recently approved a $54 billion aid package, but Hungary's president, Viktor Orban, President Putin's closest ally in the EU, initially blocked it. Orisia Lusavic from the UK-based international affairs think tank Chatham House says the funding remains vital. It is not really going to buy armaments. It is going to cover that deficit in the budget for Ukraine to be able to have stable economy and not to spiral into hyperinflation. Funding isn't the only sticking points between the EU and Ukraine. Farmers on the Polish border have been protesting over cheap Ukrainian grain imports. There's also concern about where the US and EU's money is actually going in Ukraine, which historically has had high levels of corruption among officials. That's been the main barrier to Ukraine joining the European Union. Back in Kyiv, restaurant owner Zhenya says Ukraine's residents will continue to carry on. I think it's it's a genetic resilience that we have built up, that even when things become the worst around us, uh, we still are able to pursue life. But as the war enters its third year, the outlook for foreign support for Ukraine looks less clear. I'm the BBC's Joe Critcher for Marketplace. Let's check in on the numbers now then. And part of the issue, of course, with external funding for Ukraine comes from the internal finances for some of those partner nations. And we're seeing that this morning as Europe's largest economy, Germany, has announced its economy contracted in the final three months of last year by three tenths of a percent. Here in the UK, the human rights watchdog has said menopause symptoms should be considered a disability and employers could be sued under existing laws if they do not make what they call reasonable adjustments. Those could include things like changing the temperature in offices or allowing uniform adjustments. Mona Rikiki is chief people officer at Perkbox, a company that works with perks and benefits uh, for employees. She said the move was welcome. It is a hot topic and it's something that I'm extremely excited that it's becoming mainstream and everyone is talking about it affects all women at some point in their lives in different ways but it is something that you know most of of us have had to hide and not talk Mm. about and if we're tired we we don't talk about it and we don't want to be seen as less than but it also impacts us negatively in many ways because if we're away then you know it's because we're not as committed and and that is absolutely not true. Mona Rikiki of Perkbox there. Now, relations between China and the West have not exactly been cordial in recent times. So, could so-called panda diplomacy be the answer? China's making arrangements with zoos in the US, Spain and Austria to lease some of the bears, as the BBC's Asia-Pacific regional editor, Celia Hatton, explains. There is a link between trade deals and panda deals. The modern era of gifting pandas started in 1972. That's when China agreed to give, it was a gift, to pandas to the National Zoo in Washington, D.C. Now, things really changed in 1984 because those gifts suddenly changed to leases. So countries around the world pay about $1 million per bear and any cubs born outside of China are said to belong to China. But we think there are around 60 bears or so now still lent out to 19 countries around the world. 
zoos really fight to be able to retain their pandas. They're very, very expensive to keep. You know, the average panda eats 18 kilos of bamboo per day, but zoo attendance is reported to double when they have pandas. And so it's very, very important to zoos to try to hold on to any pandas that they might be able to procure from Beijing. Sila Hatton with that one there. And finally, you know the Mark Twain quote, I'm sure. Find a job you enjoy and you'll never work a day in your life. Well, if you're a big Taylor Swift fan, there's a vacancy going at London's V&A Museum for a dedicated Swifty to advise on fan culture and memorabilia. They're also looking for some with Crocs footwear too. So if that one's for you, do drop in and say hi to us here in the BBC. Thanks so much for listening to the Marketplace Morning Report from the BBC World Service.